Welcome to the City Confessions. I'm Marianne Yip, a native New Yorker, and I'm here to discuss all the thoughts that go through the minds of people living in New York City. Being that I live in the city that never sleeps, I come across people who are constantly in a rush. I would like to take a moment to sit down and talk about what's on their minds and what keeps them up at night. So sit back and let's get ready to dive into these confessions with people I know and people that I've never met. Hi guys, I'm super excited today because I have a very special guest. I have Amy Majoris, who is a beauty and lifestyle publicist. She's been a very great friend of mine that I've met uh, about a year ago in an event. And she's very successful in public relations. Um, So thank you so much for coming today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super nervous because obviously this is my first time having a guest and we're going to be talking all things related to the city and confessions so are you ready i'm a little nervous this is my (laughs) first time being a guest we'll be we'll be in this together okay okay so just to give you some background i had my own um personal episode talking about my relationship with the city because i am a native new yorker and i know you are as well yes so would you like to just begin telling me and everybody listening what your background is with the city in terms of where you've grown up, what is your relationship with the city, and just your current feeling about New York? Um, I'm a fifth generation New Yorker, which is really rare. Um, my family lived back in the day on the Lower East Side. Oh my God, that's where I grew no, up. Where you grew up, but yeah. where all the good Jews live. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I grew up in Flushing in Queens. So I grew up in a neighborhood, Queens was at the time and probably still is, the most geographically diverse county in in the country. So I grew up with everything. I had friends from everywhere. I ate every kind of food. What was I, your favorite? My favorite, favorite food, it's still Chinese food. I love hearing that. I, Do you have a certain place in Flushing that you used to go to? I don't know if they would be there anymore, but most of the places I actually ate Chinese food growing up were in my friend's home. Oh, that's amazing. And my favorite, I always think my comfort food, when I when I want to eat something that makes me feel comfortable and warm and happy, I go to Chinatown. <laughs> and I go by myself because I don't want I don't want to have to be a tour guide. This is like Chinatown. It's my it's like my little kid food. It's my right. kind of like it feels like home. So I don't want to take you and have a Coke and have a fork. I want to eat, you know, I will eat whatever's put in front of me and I always love it. And it's just, it reminds me of home. That's amazing. So how long were you living in Flushing before you moved out? I lived in Flushing till I was 18. And I went to college in upstate New York. I went to Bard, which is in that beautiful Hudson Valley. Mm-hmm. And while I was at Bard, I actually kind of fell in. I was a little scared to go live in the country because I've always been a very urban person. I was a very urban person. In some ways, I'm still a very urban person. Mm -hmm. But I fell in love with the country when I was in college. And I fell in love with being outside. I had never done anything like that. I had never seen 
you know, animals. I'd never gone hiking. These were all new experiences. And during that time, did you miss the city or did you find more of like a love and comfort with the countryside? I missed the city in many ways because the energy of the city was so great when I went to college. I went to college in 1990. So the city in the 80s, late 80s and early 90s was a really amazing place and really the energy of there were great nightclubs there were great stores there was always so much going on so I did miss that because the country is a little sleepy mm-hmm. but I discovered this whole other side of myself that I didn't I mean when I went there I was afraid of you know it was too quiet I was afraid of animals I didn't <laughs> want to get the worst part was getting mud on my shoes I didn't want to get dirty but I really fell in love with being outside and with nature. And I started living up there over summers. Like I didn't, it's not that I didn't want to come back, but I didn't want to come back. I just, I just fell in love with this totally different life. Wow. So where do you currently live now? I live in rural upstate New York, even further upstate than Bard and more rural than Bard. So what is your current relationship with the city now compared to before? And can you tell me about the changes you've seen since you said, you know, back then it was like... Back in the day. Yeah, back in the day. It was just so much different. I think like, what are the changes that you see? What do you miss about, I guess, oh, New York compared Mm -hmm. to now? My life now is very, very different. I would have never, if you had asked me when I was 18 years old, if I would be living, I live on a farm. Wow. I live I live 15 minutes away from the Vermont border. I live the nearest town is a town called Salem which has less than a thousand people. I think there were more people in my building in high school than where I live now. Um it's if you've ever seen the show Green Acres, Salem is like the town in Green Acres. Mm-hmm. It has all kinds of, you know, characters. There are there's a sheep farm across the street. It's completely a different life, but it's a really amazing life and I really love it but I do miss the city and when I I still call the city home like I say I'm going home when I come back here even though this is really no longer my full-time home I get to come back very often for work which is great um so yeah that's that's great to hear because New York isn't too far the city isn't too far from where you live and even from me, like I live in the city and I love it. I love the energy, but it does get overwhelming at times. And I think we're always go, 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 at least for me. And the reason why I wanted to start this podcast was because I encounter so many people every single day. And I'm one of those weird people who observe and people watch all the time. And I'm always wondering like, what is their story? Because everybody has a story to tell. Mm -hmm. And you know, from the time that I've known you, I feel like you're super interesting. And I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you are. I'm trying. <laughs> um, and we really connected on the level of, you know, just both being from New York. Mm-hmm. Um, but segueing to talk about, like, the, your career as a beauty publicist, I wanted to just see if you can give a brief background of your time as a publicist and just the clients you've worked with, and then we can talk about more about, you know, the things that keep you up at night regarding your career. That was a lot. Um, 
<laughs> so I started my career in beauty PR at Estee Lauder mm -hmm. um, in the mid 90s. And I didn't actually know. I love beauty. I always love beauty products. I am a big fragrance junkie from way back. And I didn't really know that, that that PR was a thing that you did. I didn't know anything. I ended up working at Estee Lauder in the creative department because someone sent me an interview there. And they asked me what I wanted to do. And I said, I don't know. I like photography. So they put me in the creative department where they do the ads. And I ended up meeting... I ended up meeting this really nice woman in the elevator. We would always take the elevator together. And one day I get a call from Human Resources. And they said, someone has requested you to interview for a job in, P in the PR department. And I didn't know anything about PR. I just knew that the women in the PR department were the most glamorous and the best dressed in the whole company. So, of course, I wanted to be up there with right. them on the 42nd floor. <laughs> So I went to the interview. I had no idea. And I walked into the office. There was my friend from the elevator. So wow. that was the start of my career. It was meant to be. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's a really, and from there I went to, I worked in tech PR for a year, which was not for me. And um, I went to L'Oreal USA and um, from there to LVMH Beauty Division. And in 2003, they sold half of our division and I went out on my own. How's that been? Um, that what one thing that started happening. Even I worked at L'Oreal in about. I started in two thousand one. One thing that started happening is there started to be this, what we would call now the indie beauty movement. I don't know what people called it then, but I started to go to CO Bigelow downtown because mm -hmm. I lived in the West Village, and I would pass it on my way home from the train and I would stop in there and I would buy all of these beauty products from companies you never heard of and fragrance and candles and I would get so excited about it and I'd show my boss at L'Oreal and she'd go why are you using this this isn't you know this isn't you have access to L'Oreal and all these things for free wow. but I was spending my salary on these what are now indie beauty brands so I kind of always had this thought in the back of my mind that PR could be different and that there was the start of something growing with indies. And it, I kind of got kicked out into the world of indies when I left LVMH and another friend of mine there was distributing this teeny tiny Italian fragrance brand. And I wasn't doing any. I was doing some pro bono charity work and I wasn't really doing much. So she said, I need help with PR. And I was like, I'll just help you. You don't have to pay me. This little fragrance brand took off immediately because I have really I had relationships mm -hmm. with people from working at big companies. I had known, worked with some people for many years, and it did so well that the company said, "I'm we're going to pay you." They told somebody else, and that person told somebody else, and a year later, I had a business. How did that feel? It because was like, you didn't actually sought it like seek it out. It seemed as though it sought you out. I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified. I was, when I lost my job, I was going and interviewing at other beauty companies thinking I'm going to be PR director at Revlon or Avon. Everywhere I went, the same 10 girls were sitting in the waiting room. It was a very competitive time. And I was just thinking, I'm going to get a job somewhere. This all happened while I was job hunting. And the great, the kind of great thing that happened is, you know, these when I started, I wasn't making very much money. I remember um, 
I would go, I, my first office was in the meatpacking district and it was actually above a chicken packing plant. They liked me because I made the building smell good. I shared an office with an architect and um, it was, I used to go to the deli and I used to get a cheese sandwich with one slice of cheese and one slice of tomato because that's how broke I was because it wasn't like a real sandwich. That's what I ate every single day because I couldn't. I actually was so struggling. And what happened, I started in February of 2004. I started officially in February of 2004, but I was doing a little bit of work before that. And in July of 2004, I get a call from LVMH and there was a new person there. And she said, there's no one here who knows anything about Givenchy and Guerlain. Will you come back? We need, we need a director. And I said, you know, I have this other thing going on and I, I, I can't come back, but you can be one of my clients. Wow, that's amazing. So that, and I gave them, I, I gave them, you know, a quote, which I thought for a retainer, because most PR people would get paid on retainer, which I thought was super high. And the woman was, the woman liked me and she just said, I'm going to double it because we really need oh my you. God. So I, they were my, they were one of my first clients. So I get to tell people that LVMH was my client. That's honestly such so amazing. I, I had no idea. It was so, um, and it was super fun because it was, I got to help launch, um, Liv Tyler was the spokesperson, and I got to help launch a lot of cool things that were, it was like bringing older companies that were more for an older, not an older customer, I guess an older customer. My grandmother liked Guerlain, mm -hmm. and making them kind of hip and fun and introducing them to a whole different audience. So it was just, it was a fun, it was a really fun job. And then I had these other brands that were these beautiful independent companies. If you were making fragrance on top of a hill in Finland by yourself in a yurt, you were a good client for me. I wanted these really interesting out there things and you see them now. And um, I can remember taking clients to do desk sites, which is something we do often in PR, taking them to meet with editors and putting oil on our faces. And people were not receptive to that. They thought, I'm not going to put oil on my face. You got, I'm going to break up. They looked at us like we were insane. And now oil face, is, it's everywhere, yeah. right? It's one of my favorite products. It's, I think it's changed my life. It's the and people always tell me that. And it's like, yeah, when, you know, 11 years ago, I was putting, or 12 years ago even, I was putting oil on my face and people were looking at me like, what is wrong with you? Why would you do that? And very afraid of doing that. And back then there were no independent, there was no indie beauty expo. There was no, the word indie didn't really exist to describe the kinds of brands. Because now you can create a beauty brand of your own. You can create a brand, any kind of brand of your own and throw up a website and start selling. When I started, you needed, when I first started, you needed to be in Neiman Marcus before anyone would look at you. Now it's so different, so much more democratic. Totally. The beauty industry has changed dramatically, even with obviously the rise of social media as we know mm -hmm. it. Uh, with that being said, I know you have clients of your own. So I think something I'm curious is, would you ever go back to a corporate world or work for a company? Or do you like being a boss babe, as I like to call it, and just kind of being an entrepreneur yourself? 
I have thought about it going back because I really, especially to Estee Lauder, I really did enjoy my time there. And I still have friends that I knew from back in the day. Most of them are publicists doing their own thing now too. By the way, they have their own companies. Mm -hmm. But I have thought about it and I have wondered because I never ran a division of my own. So I wonder, could I do it? But I think I like being my own boss and I'm sort of addicted to starting companies. It's not like I have another company too. Um, I just, I love the freedom of it and I love being able to make a difference with a small company, like a startup that's just launching. When I did PR for larger companies, you would get, we would prepare reports for marketing and for the rest of the, of the company and you would get into 13 national magazines because back then it was only really magazines. And they would say, that's great, where's 14? Why not 15? They didn't really appreciate it as much as someone who just launched a company. I got a client into uh, the Zoe Report a week ago and it was within one day of working together and he was so he was so excited. That's amazing though. It It is an amazing feeling and I feel like I've had clients, I have one client since the very beginning and he's still with me and he has beautiful, he's a distributor of beauty brands and he has beautiful brands from all over the world. And um, I've really seen his company grow and I've been part of that. We've grown together. It's a really cool feeling. That's so amazing. And I think that's why I wanted you to come on because you have honestly such a great perspective Thank on you. brands. You have, you've been working in this industry for a really long time. So I want to talk about <laughs> what keeps you up at night. I know it's a really weird question to kind of just come in here and just talk about your concerns or your fears. But I think the, the beauty of it is that when we talk about those things, I'm sure other people can relate. And as somebody who is busy with your own clients and your work, we don't really get time to sit down and just kind of analyze where our life is going. Yeah. So would you like to talk about maybe something that has been bothering you or just what's something that's on your mind that you just want to vent about? I worry. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to be 48 years old. And you look amazing, oh, by the way. You. Honestly, thank you. amazing. But um, see, people say that. But what you said is so nice because people will say, you look amazing you for, for your age. 100%. And you didn't say yes. that. And I really think that's how we should talk about each other. So the beauty industry is very, that aging is an issue. And I feel like we don't know how to really handle it in the beauty industry. Allure magazine banned the term anti-aging, but I write press releases and I, I pitch you guys all day. I pitch editors and bloggers all day. Well, what word am I supposed to use instead? They didn't give me another word. Right. And I understand why we don't want to use it because there's nothing wrong with getting older. But what keeps me up at night is, I guess, am I relevant? Because there, I go to I go to a meeting at Vogue, and everyone sitting in the waiting room is half my age, mm -hmm. and um, I see contemporaries, people that I came up with, not being able to find who have corporate jobs, not being able to find work. I see them, you know. I have friend. I have a friend who just said, "Can you explain this Instagram thing to me?" And I thought, if you 
don't know about this Instagram thing by now, I can't explain it to you. Right. You know, it's it's being relevant. It's not just an age thing. Keeping up with changing. I worked, I actually worked, I didn't mention this before Lauder, I worked at Ralph Lauren mm -hmm. for a very short time. And um, we had this amazing video that they showed us when we were new employees that was a training video. And the one thing I took away from it that I always remembered, it's one of the most important messages I've ever gotten in my life was they talked about changing paradigms and how we have to be able to shift our focus when things change, how we have to accept change. And I worry about that. I worry about keeping up with things because obviously, you know, I, I was doing PR when there was no email. Right. I was, I just, they just got email at Estee Lauder when I started. My boss was having me print her emails so she could read them. I worry about, you know, being on top of what's new. But at the same time, I love being, I love keeping up with what's new. I love learning things. I have, I love having friends that are younger and older. I love knowing people of all ages, you know, all kinds of lifestyles. That that's what keeps me up at night. I worry about I kind of worry about getting not older, but getting like stayed and staying in the same place and not shift changing with the shifting paradigm. Well, I think it's interesting that you mentioned that because obviously aging age is, in my opinion, as they always say, age is just nothing but a number, a number. But I think if you're working in the beauty industry, there is this um, ideal image of like trying to look younger and you want to have beautiful, clear skin. And for some reason, they don't associate that with an older woman, correct? Or they always, it's always like, that's, oh, I want to be in my 20s or 30s. Yeah, youthful. And, right, youthful. That's the right word. Um, but what you said was interesting because you really remembered from that experience to kind of go with the the change and the movement and I think you've done so successfully so if you were to complete the sentence of like my confession what would that be my confession about my work or my confession about about life about anything my confession would be that I'm a lot more scared of things than people realize I think people think that I'm a confident person. I always, I laugh a lot. I make fun of myself a lot, but that's one thing. And I think the other thing is that I will, I really want to be liked, which is I think why I got into PR because PR is all about charming people and having relationships. I want every, it's, I have, I want everyone to like me. And if you don't like me, I'm going to come after you even harder. Like you'll never get rid of me because I have to convince you. Yeah. I was like, everyone likes me. Why don't you like me? I'm right. so likable and, right. and nice. So that's, that's actually a confession too, that I really have this deep need to be liked. And there, that might be why I'm doing, why I chose this career. Honestly, I can relate to that confession so much. I think me personally growing up i was always a people pleaser as well i feel like i didn't naturally make friends i felt like i had to be this person and kind of go out of my way to to be friendly and like be likable um but i think growing up i realized at the end of the day there's a quote that says something about you can have the juiciest peach 
and someone will still not like it. And I think that that made me realize at the end of the day, you can't please everybody. There's just no way. Even I'm, somebody in the world does not like Oprah. <laughs> it sounds ridiculous. Why? But <laughs> totally. I understand. Like, well, it makes no sense. But I feel like it's, I mean, I never knew that's how you felt. I, I can't get past the fact that you said the juiciest peach because I'm thinking about my butt. <laughs> I'm thinking about I want to have the juiciest peach. I'm in the gym doing squats, right? right? That's no, another but, thing. Yeah. I just think it's just so funny that you mentioned that because I walk around also, I think, putting on not a facade, but trying to be as confident as possible, put out positive vibes. But I think deep down, I'm also scared about a lot of stuff. I and think, one is being being likable. I think you put out like you have super positive energy. I would oh, never think you. that about you. I would never think that you were concerned if I liked you or I didn't like you. I would think you just seem like you're just so you're you're just you. You're just so your own person Thank and you. that you don't even think about if but we I like do. you. And that's that's the funny part because I think when we go to sleep at night, the thoughts are what keeps us up, right? Like the thoughts are incredible um there's also another quote that says like a calm mind is a healthy mind and i think that's like the goal at least for me is to kind of find balance and be in tune with my body and not be so caught up with what everybody else thinks and i think in both of our lives we attend events yeah we meet people of course you want to make a first great impression but with but doing so i think it also you just got to be who you are unapologetically and those that will like you will like you and those that don't won't. <laughs> I know it's easier said than done, but I think that's the mindset that I have. I don't know. What do you think? I I was just telling somebody I have, I'm getting ready for my 25th college reunion and I was just telling someone else how I was so scared when I went to college because I went to Bard, which is this, which at the time was the like second most expensive college in the country, and I am from a real working class Queens background. Like, um, like, like on, I don't know how to describe it. Like stereotypical. Like if you picture like a working class family from Queens with like firemen. My dad was my dad rode a subway train. Typical like thick thick Brooklyn accents. Um. I and I had always been around, you know, I I would come into the city and I, you know, I had a job in Manhattan. I went to nightclubs. But growing up, that was my family in a real like Jewish and Italian family. And I went to Bard and there was no one like me. Mm -hmm. And I felt kind of like I had to rein myself in and that I had to hide the parts of my like, uh, you know, the parts of myself that were very queens. Right. You know, like I like to wear a lot of loud clothing and I didn't think that would go over very well. Um, and I felt and what I noticed being in at Bard where there was really no one like me is that the things that people really liked about me were exactly those things I was trying to hide. And that's amazing. And I think also, at least for me, being in New York has really taught me that it's OK to be myself. Because you said that it was when you went to Bard, which is obviously not in the city. No. Correct? Yeah. 
And that's why you felt maybe a little um, hesitant to show your true colors. Oh, that too, because I'm from a big city and I was meeting people. I mean, there were other people from the city, but I was meeting people from, you know, Oregon and Nebraska and their experience was nothing like mine. So did you have a moment where you became more comfortable in your own skin and you said, you know what? This is who I am. Everything that makes me feel maybe judged by the people, you know, here in Bard who are not from New York. When was that moment where you decided to just let that guard down and just be yourself? I had two friends who every so I don't have a thick New York accent, but every so often, you know, I have a drink and it comes out. <laughs> um, so I had these two friends who used to every time I said you know, I need my winter coat. They would laugh at the way I said winter. And they'd be like, say it again, say it again, say winter, you know? And I guess that was, that was sort of, it wasn't just that moment, but right. that was sort of what made me realize that, oh, people think who I am is fun. Yeah, And totally. I can laugh at that too. I mean, right. it does sound different than other people. I get that all the time. Yeah, <laughs> the New York accent. Yeah. Upstate, people can't understand. My husband is from New Zealand. <laughs> they understand him perfectly. Me, they don't understand. Right. Yeah, I get that a lot. Every time I travel, they're always like, where are you from? Or like, what accent is that? Yeah. But it's funny because if you travel internationally, they automatically say you have an American accent. But it's only, at least for me, when you're in America and you meet other people, then they're able to detect, you know, Your all accent. that's very New York or that's very Brooklyn. So that's super interesting. Um, so I think to wrap it up, um, if somebody else is going through the same feelings as you in terms of for two parts, one, you know, wanting to stay relevant, and then the other is maybe constantly wanting to be a people person or people pleaser, excuse me. What is your advice to overcome that? I know it's still a constant daily battle with you as you know, most of us are always going through a battle themselves. What is your advice for them? Can I say, um, you can edit this out if okay. I'm allowed to say it. My advice is fuck it. <laughs> I think we should have a magazine called that. Fuck It, a TV show called Fuck It. I think you have to at some point just say, Fuck it. I don't, <laughs> I'm just going to do what I want to do. Right. And since I kind of started saying fuck it, uh -huh. people seem to be really more into like what I'm doing. They seem to respond to me better because I'm not so busy trying. I'm, you know, to I do it sometimes, but I'm not so busy trying to dress the way I should or act the way I should or have the job you think I should have. I think since I have really, I'm very much myself and I live in this tiny, I live, in, I look very urban and I wear the same thing upstate that I do walking down Fifth Avenue. I just have different <laughs> shoes because there's mud, you know, black Crocs are really, Crocs are really ugly, but black Crocs go with every, you could wear black Crocs with your Yoji Yamamoto and it, it works. That's amazing. But I think that's, that's the most important. That's the advice. Fuck it. I love that so much because I think other people would describe me as being super blonde and I'm very the same way. I say how I feel. And at what, like after like growing up, you're just like, yeah, like growing up in the city has taught you to be, have thick skin. You have to be totally. who you are, right? Totally. And 
yeah totally like fuck it if you don't like me that's not my problem i'm not gonna be a people pleaser because i think i know who i am i'm confident in my own skin the people i meet and the people that i vibe with are the people that i would want to interact with and want to communicate with just like you i you know really like your energy and we're on such a great relationship we have such a great relationship and the people who don't like it are you know not for me like it's okay if someone doesn't like you maybe they're not some you know it's their problem Yeah, you don't want to be why would you want to be in a relationship with somebody who doesn't like you whether it's friends or acquaintances or any any of those categories my grandmother used to tell me that if someone thinks you're too much it means they're not enough (laughs) i love that oh my god that's that's amazing um well thank you so much for coming on thank Um, you it, you were amazing. I know this is pretty much like Thank I'm still, you. we're both still, at least new. for me. Yeah, I'm very new. I don't really know what I'm doing. Um, but this has been great talking. It has been great talking with you. Um, I want to take a moment to just appreciate you and acknowledge you for being so supportive of me and my career and my goals. Um, you're obviously the first person that I wanted to interview because I do think you're very special. Um, and I'm, I'm sitting here crying no, by the way, it with like tears in my eyes. <laughs> so much to me because I think in New York, there's so many people that you meet and there's only a few people <laughs> that at least for me, I feel like support me and vice versa. Like they, like people that are genuinely happy for you when you want to do something and you know i wanted to start this podcast for a while and i just you know randomly was like hey let's do it and you were on board since day one so i really really do appreciate you and um i also wanted to mention that i know that you started a new lifestyle concept shop right yes in rural new york yeah you like to just talk about that as so we can wrap this up and talk about what you're what you've what you're up to. Sure. Um, so I've, you know, I've been doing PR for a long time. And what I've been kind of, I love New York, but I've been also trying to escape New York for a long time. And one of my clients was um, in a little store in a very small town in upstate New York called Narrowsburg. That's very trendy now, but mm-hmm. back then wasn't. And I was so fascinated with the, what this woman did because she was selling all of these things she, I think she's from Brazil. She was selling all of these things from Brazil and Bali in this little town in upstate New York. And I wrote to her and we were corresponding and I was so inspired by what she did. I, I said to, to my husband, my now husband, someday I want to do that. I want to open a store that has really unique things like you see in a city, but in the country because they don't have things like that. In the, and I want to live in the country. Mm-hmm. And I had planned to do this maybe in my 60s or, you know, much later in life. And recently, my husband and I drove past a storefront that used to be a gallery in my town. And I said, oh, I would love to have a store in a space just like that, in a gallery space just like that. And the next thing I knew, my husband rented the space. Oh, my God. That's, that's amazing. My husband runs the shop because um, my husband was a software engineer and he just hated being a software engineer after a while mm-hmm. so I said hun figure it out and <laughs> you know he ended up working with me and so he's running the store the store is called Finden 
which means to find in Old German. Oh, I love that. And the reason we called it that is because, for two reasons, Finden has finds from all over the world. We have things, my husband being from New Zealand, we have a big New Zealand vibe going on. We have things from art, art, clothing, jewelry, beauty products, of course, beauty products. Um, we have th we have things from New Zealand, Morocco, Thailand, India, really everywhere that I that I've either been or want to go. Right. And many things are one of a kind. And now I forgot where I was going with <laughs> this. Um, but that's something that you're working on. Yeah, so, we yes. we actually opened it in June, mm -hmm. and we're building an online shop, and it has been really amazing because I had this theory that. People everywhere like really unique things. And whether you're in a city or the country, but you don't always have access to such right. unique things the way we do in New York. I grew up with, mm -hmm. you know, going to what was unique clothing warehouse, which is gone. But that was like a mall full of the coolest stuff. Like it was not a mall that you'd see in the Midwest. This was like a mall of really hip, funky stuff. I, so I had exposure to that, but I, when I decided to live in the country, I thought nobody has exposure to these things. I bet they'll still like them. And everyone thought it was a really insane idea. And we opened the doors in June, and my husband and I said to each other, if no one comes in, it's okay. We'll have a website. We have been so busy since the store opened. We have a real local following. That's amazing. I love hearing that. And you have to invite me. Yeah, I totally want you to, to come and yes. stay with us. You'll have fun. Yeah. I you've got to bring your you've got to bring your muck boots or your Crocs <laughs> or hiking boots. I'll be ready for that. So, yeah, that's that's amazing. Um and you have to let me know when the website is launching. I know. Where it's it's taking a little while, but um I keep bringing more products into the yeah. store and it's all of my clients are represented in the store too. That's so, super smart. Yeah, and they they love it and it gives me a way to see how customers interact with the brands which I never get to see and what they like and dislike. So it's a little education for me too. I love hearing that. Um, yeah, when this podcast goes live, hopefully your website will be as well. So it better. We <laughs> my husband, my husband's building it. He better get moving. This is like a good um, incentive for him. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Amy, for coming. Um, thank you. And yeah, thanks for sharing your story, your confession. I really appreciate it. And I hope and I actually I know that other people will find it helpful and can relate as well. So thank you so much. I hope so too. Thank you. <laughs> okay.